Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Good evening, everybody, from the fall setting of New York City, Seth and Sean Sports Radio, the last in which Seth will be doing from New York as he moves with the family to the outskirts called Hoboken. Thanks, a little bit outside the city. Bomp, bomp, bomp. You know, it was one of those weeks where we started out really good. The the Mets are, are back in playoff contention. The Yankees are playing out the string, but a, a very happy group with what they've done. Then Sunday comes. And you're going to say, well, it's Sunday fun day. It's Sunday football. We had Saturday a couple of upsets in, the, in college. Les Miles gets fired Sunday morning. And then sports really doesn't matter. I'm walking in Central Park, and, and Seth, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm going on and on, and I'll get to you in a second. Walking in Central Park with a friend of mine, and all of a sudden my phone rings with the ESPN update. And, of course, like any other Mets fan, I wonder who went on the DL, because that's generally what happens. Who's undergoing Tommy John surgery because the Mets need pitching? And the thing that comes across my screen is that Jose Fernandez had passed away from a boating accident. Later on that evening, Arnold Palmer passes away. And it puts sports again into context, where the Jets lost, the Giants lost, and I couldn't care less. Seth, I'm sorry it's been a couple of minutes and I failed to introduce you. Uh, How you doing, bud? Hi, everybody. I'm Seth. Oh, Seth and Sean. Um, it was it was the tale. It was kind of a tale of two different thought processes for me. Now, I'm not the baseball guy that you are, and everyone who listens to the show knows that. Um, but Jose Fernandez was a name that everybody who followed sports was familiar with. They may not have known the exacts. They may not have known the story. But he was that guy, kind of what that just had that exuberance on the field, and you know, a guy with an immense talent that was at the beginning of what could have potentially been a multi Cy Young, a Hall of Fame career. But not only that, he was, you know, the story of how he came over in his fourth try from Cuba, where he was kind of a hero, similar to what the Hernandez brothers were a generation back. I guess maybe a semi-generation back. And to see him, to hear him, you know, dead at 24 is, you know, there's not really much you can say. Um, Then you go to the other extreme, which later that night, um, we found out that Arnie Palmer uh, died at age 87. Now, Palmer was the most beloved, don't let anyone think, tell you anything to the contrary. Not Jack Nicholas, not Tiger Woods, 
Arnold Palmer is unequivocally the most beloved golfer of all time. There is no dispute. There is no real discussion about it. And, you know, no one really, no one had known too much about his health. It wasn't something where he was really out in the public eye very often anymore. Um, He came a little bit out of left field. And, you know, his left Paul, really a, a depressing Paul on the nation, which, let's be honest, has kind of felt pretty depressed for a while anyway. Yeah, let's, Seth, let's take this one at a time. So first we have Jose Fernandez, and, I'm, and you're absolutely right. Definitely a different feeling. Still a gut punch. I'll tell you quite frankly, both of them, Jose Fernandez especially being so early in the morning, both of them a gut punch for me. But we'll take them one at a time. The names that you will hear coming out of my mouth are players, let's just take this on a baseball level first. These were the equivalents of Jose Fernandez, her, Jose Fernandez in his first four years. Sandy Koufax, Pedro Martinez, Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, Roger Clemens. Those are the top you, you could say arguably, because I do have Nolan Ryan in there. Arguably, the top four to five pitchers of the last 70 years. Just, just let that sink in for a moment. The last 70 years. This guy was on a par with those. He was so much better than everybody else. It would be like losing Dwight Gooden after two years in 1987 to a Mets fan. It was Thurman Munson to Yankee fans, where the guy is not even in the prime of his career, and he struck down. And I saw a lot of postings, both on Facebook and on Twitter, that this reminded Yankee fans of Thurman Munson and when he went down. Except the difference is you knew this right away. And there was more coverage on this than anywhere else. And watching last night's baseball game with tears in my eyes, along with everybody else that was watching the baseball game and everybody else that was in Marlins Park, I don't know that baseball matters to me this week. I really don't. Look, Gary Cohen said it best last night on the – Gary Cohen. Um, Sorry, I can't remember the Mets announcer who was doing it last night. I think it was Gary Cohen. With with Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez. Yeah, and they said, how can the Mets have to play a game that actually matters? That means something. And after the first inning, I – I've never seen a baseball game, and I tweeted this out last night, so quiet. You could hear every single pitch. You could hear every single hit. You can hear when it went off the bat, when it went into the glove. It was like a memorial park last night. And after the second inning, I just couldn't watch it anymore. I just went to sleep. Because there was nothing that I really wanted There was nothing I really could watch. 
sporting event or otherwise, and don't even get me started on the political debate, which I had no no desire to watch anyway. But this man, if you want to say what he did, it the most important thing that he did was really he saved the Marlins. And you're going to say, well, the Marlins won a World Series? Yeah, 20 years ago they won a World Series. And ever since then, the team has been hated in Miami. Hated. This guy, the, the last time, and Seth, chime in here. Tell me the last time that you recall an athlete upping a, not a visiting athlete, a home athlete, upping an attendance mark by a quarter every time he played. And when he didn't play, it went down a quarter. Well, I, I kind of wanted to let you, because I know this you know, has, has has more of a feel to you than it does to me. Um, I am a little bit curious, though. Well, number one, New Orleans also won a championship in 2003. So they've been pretty irrelevant for about, not for two decades, but about a decade of change. Um when I think of Jose Fernandez, now, again, I don't claim to be the baseball expert that you are, but I, I know enough. Now, I know he was a very good pitcher. I know that he had come off Tommy John surgery. I know he was in a lot of ways kind of almost the, the Latino, the spokesman of the Latino you know, community down in Miami. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but at no point had I ever heard the comparison. Now, I heard Pedro Martinez make a comment uh, on Monday, yesterday, that he had more talent than Pedro did, which is extraordinary. But now, did I not hear living in New York where you're kind of saturated in the New York sports bubble, for lack of a better term? And you know my feelings on the New York sports bubble. I never thought of him at that level as a pitcher. I thought he was a very good pitcher out of what I had seen and out of what I have read, but he never occurred. It never, I, when I was thinking, when I would think of the two or the three or the four best pitchers in baseball at no point, I don't believe his Jose Fernandez ever entered that conversation in my mind. And again, I could be wrong. So even if he had, remember, well, well, here's the thing. We're talking about the first four years of a guy's career, okay? So, well, you, you, you brought up Sandy Koufax. The first four first four years of Sandy Koufax's. For look up the first four years of Sandy Koufax's career. It's they're off. It's no, awful. I understand. I understand. Let me put this into context, and I'm I'm going to use Jason Stark, who is one of my favorite writers. I'm going to quote him. Four years into his career, he had an ERA of one ERA plus of 150. If you're not familiar with that stat, it compares each pitcher to the other pitchers of his time, and that the average pitcher is graded at a 100. So that tells you how much better Fernandez was than anyone else around him. So if he's at 150, the average is 100. But maybe this will tell you more. Among the right-handed pitchers, now remember that eliminates Koufax, that eliminates Kershaw, whose careers began since World War II. So that's eliminating who? 
that's eliminating Lefty Grove and Walter Johnson and Cy Young and all those guys. But yeah, including I, I think Bob that goes Gibson. Back, that, goes back, that goes back to Warren Spahn, but Spahn, I think, was a lefty as well. So Yeah. Okay. Kind of do you know – Okay, do you know how many players had a better ERA plus through 70 starts? And 70 starts is what? Three years, right? Give or take. Yeah. That would be zero. Behind Fernandez, you'll find the likes of Dwight Gooden, Tom Seaver, and Roger Clements. Fernandez was off to a better career start than all of them. Wow. Now, to put that in perspective... Let's remember Dwight Gooden's first three years. His first year, he went 17-6 and six with 276 strikeouts. His second year, he went 25-3 and three with a 1.53 ERA and led the league in strikeouts. He won the Triple Crown. His third year, he had 18 wins. I don't remember how many losses he had, but that was the year 1986 where they won the, won the uh, World Series. Those were his first three years. 17 and 6, 25 and 3 and over 18 and over 15 wins in his first 3 years which is the comparison to Jose Fernandez. You're right, he wasn't put in those. And quite frankly, up until yesterday, I didn't equate him there either. But having read these stats, I know the one guy I didn't want to face when we went to the Marlins was we being the Mets was right. Jose Fernandez. Because there was nobody else. So he was the Kershaw of the Marlins. But his stats jump off the page. And because he was only 24 years old, and because he's in the first four years of his career, maybe his stats didn't jump off the page enough. And looking back on it, man, they should have. But you also, as you said, this is a team with, practically no exposure outside of outside of Florida a team that had been irrelevant for 12 years a relatively mediocre sports town to begin with and even within that sports town at best they were number four behind the Dolphins the Heat and the University of Miami yeah so maybe a lot of this pertained to the fact that he was in, he played for a nothing for a nothing team in a nothing environment. Now rumors that had come about, as you know, because they always do, that he would have been that there was a good chance Miami or Florida would have considered trading at some point to the Yankees, to the Red Sox, to the Mets, to whoever it may be, and. Um, it does seem, though, that he fit that community better than probably any player that's ever been a Florida Marlin. So I kind of wonder how that would have gone over. Yeah, Seth, I, I have a feeling given – so Jeff Loria has been notoriously a penny pitcher, right? We, we know this, yes. given Florida. He shelled out for Giancarlo Stanton to the tune of $325 million. Last night he said no player will ever wear number 16 again for the Marlins. Jose Fernandez, I think, 
look, I have no inside information. I can only I can only gather from what's been reported, from what from what I know, and from what really I've seen of him as a player, and how much he was beloved in that community. I don't think Loria trades him. I think Loria ponies up. I think he, when you bring in, and this is how I started with you asking you who you knew that would bring in a quarter more of fans just on the days that he pitched or the days that he played. And I cannot remember anybody that brought that type of crowd in. The Met, Gooden didn't bring that type of crowd in. Clemens didn't bring him in. Maybe Fernando Valenzuela. Like, that would have been my – actually, only, I think that's the most reasonable guess, except the difference is the Dodgers' comparison that's unfair. The Marlins are the worst yeah, Dodgers team in the major league. The Dolphins – the right. Dodgers always drew. So they probably drew right. more for Fernando Mania in 81. You know, when yep. you're drawing only 10,000 a game, now not trying to t- diminish the legacy or diminish, you know, because it is a pretty amazing stat. But this man was more – was the Miami community. As I said, he was a guy who came over from Cuba on his fourth try in a raft, pulled his mother out of the Atlantic Ocean for God's sakes. I mean, it is an amazing story. And so I, my assumption would be, and I, it seems to be, you know, even uh, ESPN, Dan Lebertard from ESPN, who's a Miami guy, was crying when he was telling the story. Tony Perez, all these people with kind of that Latino, Hispanic you know, heritage. It, it feels like, even though, even though they all weren't from, most of them were not from Cuba because this is the first generation of players coming over from Cuba. But I think he he played with such an unparalleled joy. And I think the Hernandez brothers kind of said it best that, you know, pitching the seventh game of the World Series is not pressure. Coming over in a raft to try and get citizenship and to avoid, you know, to avoid getting away from Cuba. That's pressure, which is why he played, yeah. with, as I've said, you know, several times. But, Joe, you know, he pitched. It wasn't, you know, it was. It may have been an arrogance, but it was a fun arrogance. It wasn't a, it wasn't, it wasn't a boastful. It was just a passion for the game. And baseball, of all sports, is, is a sport that really has very little of that, of that panache. So, you know, it'll be curious to see what happens with the Marlins. Well, Levitard Levitard and, Levitard and Perez are both Cuban, of Cuban descent, which certainly gives them a little bit more impact, I believe, than anybody else. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the joy that he played, I mean, and the pressure that he had, unmatched, unmatched. And I don't remember... Anybody's death, and look, everybody dies, right? I mean, there, there are two things. What are two things that you can't ever escape: death and taxes. Everybody dies. I don't remember a death impacting me so severely, so suddenly. I was walking in Central Park and I stopped. Just stopped. I couldn't couldn't believe that that happened, and um. Maybe this is our generation's Thurman Munson. 
certainly was as good as Thurman. I mean, Thurman was an MVP at the time. Yeah, I mean, the difference, Thurman was at the end of his prime at this point. And in by in 79 when he died, as opposed to Jose Fernandez, who is obviously still going towards it. Um, Agreed. Great. Now, it, what, now there are other athletes, again, for me personally, and this is going to sound strange because I was very young when he died, but as the, as the, son, of a, as the son of a Maryland alumni who was yeah. a diehard college basketball fan by the time he could pretty much walk, um, Len Bias was the one that had the most impact on me. And because, number one, I'm a basketball guy probably first and foremost, or was at that point anyway. Number two, he went to Maryland. Number three, he would have, his talent was so overwhelming, and how where he would have played would have made that team yeah. would have kept them relevant for another fifteen years. I mean, think about it. They were coming off the Celtics were coming off the greatest game of all, the greatest one of the three greatest teams of all time. The eighty six, the eighty six team, now in forty and one at home, and they ended up with the second pick in the draft uh, through a trade which I, I, I forget the specifics of. And they took bias with the idea of both you know, Larry Bird and Kevin McHale starting to kind of be a little bit long in the tooth and this would have been the perfect but also watching him play and mo- I mean look most of us have been able to if you're a college hoops fan to see some of bias's games and the talent he had was overwhelming. And it was the beginning he was the first athlete to die of coke, as far as we knew, to do a coke overdose. He was the unbreakable because he was built like a he was built beyond belief. Um, so that to me had more impact. Um, but again, the cultural standpoint, the cultural issue, I didn't. There, there wasn't a cultural transition to aspect to that, which uh, obviously a lot of people had with this one. So. Now, it's it's different to different people, and I was also if you want to, also ten years old. <laughs> yeah, if you want to call in and discuss this, seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. Look, you have one guy that was entering the prime of his career, and one that was well out of the prime of his career, well out of the twilight of his career. Arnold Palmer was the first golfer I ever knew. He was a guy that my grandfather introduced me to. My grandfather was a golfer. Maybe that's why it affects me so much. His last name was Palmer, and everybody asked me if I'm ever related to him. It's quite interesting that the iced tea commercial, Lemonade or Iced Tea, comes out at this point, because what's an Arnold Palmer anyway but half lemonade and half iced tea? The Geico commercial. Arnold Palmer was the most popular athlete of his time. There's no denying that. He was more popular than DiMaggio. He was more popular than Willie Mays. He was more popular than Jim Brown. He was more popular than Bill Russell. Arnie was the king of a sport. And I'm not sure besides Babe Ruth, if there was ever a more popular athlete. And I include Michael Jordan in that. Because Michael Jordan, while renowned in the world, has competition. 
while Arnold Palmer had absolutely none. I didn't realize. I'm sorry? Continue. I'll I'll respond when. No, I don't think he had any competition in golf at the time when he started. Later, he had Nicholas, and I certainly don't think they had any competition popularity-wise. What I didn't realize was that Arnold Palmer didn't have a really long career as far as a top golfer was concerned. He won seven majors. He won four masters. But his last his last major was in, I believe, in 1960. But the concept of him still being in the public eye, even to today, just tells you how beloved this man was. I have to say, and probably shielded as well, because you never heard a bad thing about Arnie. Go ahead, Seth. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Now, a lot of it, he really won, he won all seven of his, of his majors in about a seven-year span, in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, and, that, you know, and that was when that was when Jack Nicholas and Gary Player started to come into play. Um, and, you know, they would eventually overtake him. But he was you know, he, he played on the rider teams through 1973. And, you know, he was one of the first, he won five majors on the, on the seniors tour, but none of that really matters. You know, he was, the reason he was so loved, you know, forgetting his, his, you know, his charisma. And, you know, and, you know, his, but he's, when you think golf, you think of, you know, White collar, you know, blue blood, and he wasn't that. He was from he was from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, which is, you know, which is you know blue collar kind of that mining area where you had Johnny Unitas, you know, you had all those hard, hardcore basketball football players. Excuse me, where you hear they come out of this area. That's where he was from. You know, level-headed guy treated. Who you know throughout his nine, throughout his years treated everyone the same, which is all you can ever ask for. I was married to the same woman for forty five years, and he kind of played with a swagger. And I, I kind of want to compare it in a lot of ways to almost like a John Daly, not in regards to the way he played, but that he would take the chances on things in the same way that a Daly would. And if he lost, he lost. If he won, he won. He'd rather kind of go out on his He'd rather go out going all out than play it safe. And I think that resonated a lot. I think also, generationally, you know, it was a time where you could be nice to every fan. And you could take the time to take a picture. Now, between Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and all this, the exposure is so great. I don't know if it's feasible for another Arnold Palmer to to come about at this point, and while he was pop, he was beloved as a player, he he seems to be more beloved, and just, just, just his legacy is not only as a baseball as a baseball player, but as just as just really what everything what what golf is supposed to epitomize, and you know what more can you really ask for? 
Yeah, he he's an icon who has the worst swing I've ever seen. I implore everybody that that is a fan of the show and likes golf to go back and take a look at Arnold Palmer's swing. Arnold Palmer swings more like a baseball player than he does a golfer. Or used, I'm sorry, swung. I should put this in the past tense. Swung more like a baseball player than a basketball player. It was violent. It was, if you saw, if he was a pitcher, you'd be, you'd be saying, just call Dr. James Andrews because he's ready to have Tommy John surgery. Like, it's that violent of a swing. And yet it worked for him. And you see baseball players with violent swings. You see baseball players with unusual swings, and it works for them. And I think at the end of the day, whatever works for you is what you should go with. And he proved that more than anybody. And you're right, Seth. He wasn't white collar. He was blue collar. Latrobe is right outside of Pennsylvania. Uh, right outside of Pittsburgh. Excuse me. Right outside of Pittsburgh. Mining town and all of that. And he lived in Latrobe for most of his career. In fact, he owns the Latrobe, or owned the Latrobe golf course where his father used to be the groundskeeper. And that's where he learned to play golf. But, look. Arnold Palmer was one of those guys that I never saw play live. I don't even think he played in the tournament that I watched ever, other than hitting the Masters, that that opening ceremonial shot. But if you're a golf fan or you know anything about golf, you know the name Arnold Palmer. And, Seth, you're right. Nicholas is probably the best golfer ever. He's got the most majors. Tiger Woods is in the discussion. Probably put Lee Trevino. You probably put uh, Gary Player in there. Yeah, I mean, Bobby Jones, Tim Hagen. Well, you, I mean, yeah, you can or you can Sam Snead. You can throw, you can Ben Hogan. Right. You can throw out a bunch. You could throw you could throw out a bunch of players. But I'll tell you one thing: there is no more. You're, you were spot on. There was and is no more beloved player than Arnold Palmer. None whatsoever. So if he leaves a legacy besides half lemonade and half iced tea, which I don't like, it is the fact that he leaves a legion of Arnie's army. And he was also the first athlete to have groupies, which I think is pretty cool. And he had groupies at the Masters, which you can't even get to anymore. Oh, I, I, okay. I thought you said something else. Never mind. <laughs> what? Which would have been a lot more. I thought you said something else, which would have been a lot more confusing. It would have kind of gone against his leg, gone against what we're talking about with his legacy. So never mind. Okay. okay so we're halfway, we're, we're halfway through the show. We're halfway through the show. We've gotten through the somber moments of the show. Let's understand what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. We have baseball playoffs are just around the corner, five more days. The Mets are still in it. They are a game and a half up on the Cardinals for the second, for the second wild, uh, first wild card, and they are half a game up on the Giants. They play again tonight in what, again, will be an emotional game. I think the game actually just started. They are playing the Marlins, and – Again, you wonder how much can actually be 
brought forth on a baseball field. D. Gordon's home run last night was ridiculous. Anyway, so that's number one. You have the Giants and Jets, both who laid an egg this week, both who had quarterbacks that threw interceptions. And, Seth, I have to tell you, when Eli threw that interception, all I could think about was Seth saying that was the throw. I I was I guess probably luckily I was at a family event without without uh, without the game on TV but it, it kind of t- exemplified um, you know my expectation of the Yankee of the Giants where you are looking at a team that can never handle prosperity you know they go up three games and Philly goes up three games on Washington for all intents and purposes Washington has I think it's a two percent chance at 0 and three to make the playoffs. They're at home, they're up twelve. And it's it's the Giants. That's all I can really nothing shocks me about it. I want before well, they we get forgot to, how to run the ball. Yeah, well well yeah. now Rashid Jennings was out, Shane Vereen is now out for the season. So Let's see. Let's see what Paul Perkins can do. Or, or I know who they're bringing up from the practice squad, and they still. And Orleans Darwa has been solid for them, but uh, they're they're a passing team, and you know perhaps they should be. I mean that will be the accentuation, which I think the Jets should probably get away from after Ryan Fitzpatrick's six interception abomination. I think is the correct word, uh, in at Arrowhead. That, that's a good word. By the way, Jay Bruce just hits a two-run homer, and the Mets are up two to one. Um, so, a little bit happy woo-hoo. about that. But anyway, what's that? I said woohoo. Well, you know, after, uh, yeah. Well, it's something, well, especially okay. with okay. Stephen Matt now on on the DL for the rest of the year. Oh, I, I need an ex- I need an explanation on something. We can come back to football in a minute, but I need an explanation. Yeah on something. So the World Series of Hockey has been going on. Now, I remember it from 96. The only year that I remember it was Mike Richter. You mean the World Cup. There is no World World Cup of Hockey. The World Cup of Hockey. The World Cup of Hockey. Now, how exactly does one have a Canadian team, a U.S. team, and a North American team? I don't don't, know. How does that work? Does Mexico have a great hockey team and I just never knew about it? No. So what happened was uh, so here's the explanation. So the World Cup of Hockey was being decided. They decided that they couldn't have too many teams, so they needed to limit the amount of teams. So there, is, there was a Russia. There was a United States. There was a Canada. They were trying to fill in the blanks. So how did they fill in the blanks for an eight-team tournament? They have a Team Europe which combines Sweden and Switzerland and Slovakia, where, again, is there ever a Team Europe? No, there's not a Team Europe. They should be playing for their own teams. And then you have Team North America. Now, what happens for Team North America? It is the best North American players under the age of 24. No joke. So you have Connor McDavid. You, you have Austin Matthews. Anybody that's under the age of 24. I think it's horse crap. I, I really do. I think, it was, I think it was awful. 
And the reason that they did it was because they said, A, it would be exciting, and it was. Seeing Connor McDavid play was very exciting. But if you're going to make this a World Cup of Hockey, and plans are to continue this, I feel that you have to have it just like you do the Olympics, on a nation-by-nation basis. No team Europe, no team North America. If you want Connor McDavid on that team, that Connor McDavid better make the Canadian team. That's it. So what ha- what so, happens if Canadian? Now what would have happened if if Connor McDavid made the Canadian team? Well, they didn't have you, that you, discussion. Anybody under so the age of twenty-four, play, I every player, or, so every player on both the U.S. and Canada was over the age of twenty-four. Correct. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Correct. That is it. But, I mean, what, but what, that was, what that was meant to do was to bring in more fans for the World Cup of Hockey because you'd get to see no, more North American players. Now, the North American team is a combined Canadian and U.S. under 24, which makes it even more stupid. Whose idea so, was this? That, that, what's that? Whose idea was this? Is this, this like was the, national uh, and, this, it's not, I can't imagine it was Batman's. Well, it was the NHL and the NHL Players Association, and and Batman definitely was part of this. And if you're just looking to attract fans, it makes all the sense in the world. Because Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews weren't going to make the Canadian team. So if they weren't going to make the Canadian team, remember, Austin Matthews, where is he playing next year? Toronto. Connor McDavid is a Canadian guy. So if the, mo- if the young, exciting players in hockey are not going to make the big club, they thought that they would give him another shot, and they did. And they were very exciting. I don't know if you watched any of their games, you being the hockey aficionado that I know and love. That's sarcasm for everybody that's listening to the show. They played very well, and they are very fast. And most of their problems were on the defensive side of the, uh, defensive side of the ice. But that's the reason. So you have your answer. And if they do something in the future, hopefully they will not have this type of thing and they will have more countries. And especially in 2018, if they decide that the Olympics are not going to be having NHL players, and the reasoning that the Olympics may not have NHL players is because the International Olympic Committee has decided that they will not pay the travel of the NHL players and they will not pick up I did not know that this was even something that they did. They paid insurance policies on all of the players' NHL contracts. That's a hefty bill. So if Sidney Crosby has a $67 million contract, the International Olympic Committee was paying an insurance premium in case he got hurt during the Olympics. Okay, I'm about to this this is my you've now explained this very well. This is my feeling on it. 
I don't know what that is. I'm taking it as if it's silence. Okay, silence it is. Yeah, still don't hear it. Can't hear it. Don't care. In any event, for those ladies and gentlemen that are listening, oh, it's Adam Sandler's quote that he can't put on here. He feels stupider for listening to this. Well, the it, didn't, part it didn't come that, through? No. The stupid part to this is that, and this isn't stupid, is the reason the International Olympic Committee won't pay the fees is because it comes to the tune of $10 million. No, I'm talking, I'm talking back. I'm talking about the, the prior part of the North American, the, the 24 and oh. under team. I apologize. That is the team. That is what that is what the Billy Madison quote. Yes, the man who hates Adam Sandler more than anything. But that is what the quote is attributable to, um, not to not to the insurance aspect of it. I just didn't have a place to okay. play the play the quote at that point. Okay, so let's get so. let's get back to what we were doing before, right? So we were talking a little bit about the Giants and the Jets and everybody else, and the Jets throwing together what. Eight turnovers, six interceptions, horrendous football. Yeah, it was just horrendous football. I mean, all in told, it was horrendous football. And I could not – they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn yesterday was Ryan Fitzpatrick. He had more Eli moments than I can ever remember. And it boats the question, Seth, you brought this up earlier, is right earlier in – in our programs, is the Jets now play Seattle at home in, depending on if Russell Wilson plays, perhaps a very winnable game. But if they lose, they go 0-3. And the question becomes, with all the young quarterbacks that are being thrown into the mix, they play Seattle next, then at the Steelers and at Carolina. So to your point, Seth, who who predicted earlier in the year that the Jets could be conceivably one and five, let's say the Jets are one and five. They don't have their bye week till week five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, between eight, eight and uh, nine and ten. Do they make a switch to Christian Hackenberg, or is he too raw? I think they would go. They would try Bryce Petty before they would try Hackenberg. Um, the Hackenberg pick did not make a heck of a lot of sense um, to begin with. And let's take a step back here. Yes, he was horrendous this week, but how was he against Buffalo? He was pretty good. He was very good. So it's a little early to overreact to you know one really terrible game. And, I don't think I'm overreacting you know, and, to the game. I'm saying if the Jets lose, right? Not if, even if he doesn't play, even if he plays well, and they're one in five or one in six. First of all, I disagree with you. I thought the Hackenberg pick was a very good pick. I said it at the time that you take a if you believe that he's your quarterback for the future, you invest the second round pick in him. Right. I, the I, question I, is whether I, he's the quarterback of your future and. I agree. Look, 
But they, I'm, I'm not questioning. Made the, I'm not questioning picking a quarterback. I'm questioning picking him. No, I get that, but they've made that decision by picking him in the second round. They've said he's the quarterback of the future by picking him in the second round. So the question is, at this point, when do you give him that shot? Do you wait till next year, or say they go one and five, one and six? If they go one and seven, they have a bye week, and then they play New England the next week. Do you give Hackenberg 10 days and then, look, I know I'm jumping way far, cart uh, cart before the horse, but I think at one and two, with Seattle then going to Pittsburgh and then going to Arizona, you have to think about this stuff. Not that Pittsburgh looked all that great either. Seattle has not looked great. Pittsburgh lost by 31 to a team led by a rookie quarterback. And even Carolina's one and two. Now, None of these, as opposing a schedule as this look, and yeah, I predicted that they would be one and five, or two and five, I think, after seven games based on the schedule. But the teams, those teams have not played very well. Um, so, you know, there may be more of it. They, they very well could have beaten Cincinnati, but there may, have been, there may be some more opportunity out there. Of course, if they play like they did this past weekend, then it's all irrelevant anyway. Yeah, I don't mind you trying. I think at week 10, if you're two and seven, and you're, you're real. You're practically saying you're, you're realistically you're not going to make the playoffs. Then you kind of have to see what you have um, to see if do you, do you play your Bryce Petty? Do you play Hackenberg? You know, if either of them are content, do you play Geno Smith, um, which I know makes other people roll their eyes. But for the most part, he's been out for you. Know, I don't think he's your future quarterback. But you already know what you have in Fitzpatrick. You're probably not re-signing him if his year continues in this regard. And if he, they're one and five or one and six, you know, I'm assuming you'll have more games closer to Kate. Well, not Casey, but he's not. I'm assuming, he's not going to have great games. If they're one and six. You know, you're not going to score thirty. You're not going to throw for four touchdowns against Seattle and lose the game. So if they're one and six, I'm assuming he's had a problematic. <laughs> I don't have a problem with you trying any of them. Um, but it is a little, it's still, you know, people are jumping on a zillion different kind of bandwagons. You know, people want Kirk Cousins removed. People want this. People want that. You know, let's give it more than three weeks before we make determinations. I, I can agree with that entirely. But once again, Seattle comes to New York and injuries abound. And Russell Wilson gets hurt again. This guy's got to stay in the pocket a little bit more. He keeps getting hurt. Well, you know, going into the season, the expectation of their biggest issue was going to be the line. And, you know, that's proven in a lot of ways to be true. Um, you mentioned in our, in our intro, kind of jumping around a little bit, big firing down in Baton Rouge. Last miles out at LSU after a 2-2 two and two start. And a coach who probably outlived, you know, his, he's a unique character, but someone who probably outlived his, his – he was never beloved down there. And it was always a fight. And, you know, with a, considering how much talent they have and how much talent they've had over the years, with they've never really been able to develop quarterbacks. And – it turned out to be their downfall again. You know, they lose to they lose to Auburn, they lose to Wisconsin. 
it is one of the more surprising. Uh, it's just you know I'm curious to see here. I guess after our caller, you know where where you think they where you think they're going to go. I have a couple of thoughts of my own, but we'll wait, we'll wait on that momentarily. Yeah. You're on with Seth and Sean. How you doing, bud? Hello. How are you? We're doing well. How about yourself, sir? Um, I'm okay. This is Ryan. I'm calling from Tampa, Florida. I am actually calling to talk about Arnold Palmer. I'm a little bit late on the show. I listen to you guys while I'm at work. That's great. If you could speak a little bit more into the phone, we can barely hear you, sir. Can you hear me better now? A little bit. So what would you like to say about Arnie? obviously watched him, and I was actually at one of his events in 1982 when he won a small championship in Georgia. I'd like to talk a little bit about that event and, and what it was like for me and my father. Sir, sir you're breaking up. We, maybe you could try calling back, but you're certainly breaking up. We can't hear you. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, try giving us a call back. And we so have anyway, call just... so... We have another call. Hopefully, just Ryan off, will so. give us a call back. We 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 definitely loves hearing our callers. Ryan, give us a call back. We we would certainly put you back on. We just had a hard time listening to you, and he, sorry, not listening to you, actually hearing you. Seth, uh, as far as Les Miles is concerned, I think anybody's going to have a problem down there in Baton Rouge. You are compared to one person and one person only, and that man is Nick Saban. We got Ryan back on. Hold on a sec. Ryan, you still there? Yes, I am. Thank you for taking the call. I apologize. Oh, I can hear better. you better now. Much better. Guys, so what would you like to say about Arnold Palmer? Well, actually, I got a chance to meet Arnold Palmer in an Eckerd Classic in Youngstown, Ohio, probably about 25 years ago. I was with some family members, an uncle that was actually my guardian at the time, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about what that experience was like. I listen to you guys while I'm at work, so I had a chance to finally call in here at the end of the show. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, so please do you. We got, we got about two minutes. We got one more caller, and then we got to wrap it up. So, we'll, we'd love to hear the story, though. Please. I was, um, I was at the Eckerd Open in Youngstown, Ohio, um, many years ago, and I actually met Arnold Palmer after the event. And he didn't have such a great round. He he ended up coming in quite uh, towards the bottom of the field. And after the the event, there was a charity auction and some things, which he did not have to show up for, and he did. My father actually introduced me to him because he was one of the corporate sponsors at the event. So I got a chance to meet him, and um, he took me down. He sat me down on his lap. We talked, and, and he, he explained to me how positive it was to stay in school and things like that. And that's when he took me into the back, and he gave me oral sex for the first time. I actually got a blowjob from Excuse Arnold me? Palmer. Friend of yours? We're very sorry about that. Um we we don't have yeah. a delay on the call and that that was very inappropriate and we apologize for um that communication Whatever. that went yeah. across the air um it is our sincere apologies to the Palmer family if they are listening uh we'll try yeah. and dub that out of the uh recording yeah. going forward so uh it is so our we, sincere we have another apologies. caller I hope we have we have another caller. Um, hopefully, it's not something equivalent to what we just heard. You're on the air with Seth and Sean. Jesus, guys, my kids listen to the show. Yeah. Well, 
Uh, that's why as soon as we, as soon as I heard that first word, I muted him. I knocked him off, took him off. We don't have, we oh, don't I have the lie. Absolutely disgusting. But I wanted, I wanted to talk about the time Tiger Woods fingered my butthole and Arnold Palmer. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, one of those. So. Yeah, it's one of those. Lovely, guys. Uh, Lovely. If you're going to call on the show, we would appreciate that you use decorum. We'll not be taking any more calls today. That is inexplicable. To all of our listeners, I, I very much apologize. Yeah, look, you know, we, we had this a couple of years ago where this would happen. We host the show because we enjoyed doing it. And, you know, for for the class acts that decided to do, have nothing better to do with their time, you know, whatever, they're not even worth acknowledgement. So, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so getting back to Les Miles and getting back to, um, to Baton Rouge, look, he's compared to one guy, and that's Nick Saban. Do you disagree with that? Well, I, 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 I yes and no. I mean, there's nothing really comparable to Nick Saban at this point. Um, right. That's the point. You know, there is nothing. Yeah. But I think the way that they've lost some of their games, it's an issue we've seen both in the pros and in college where, you know, how difficult is it to figure out time? You know, everyone seems to have so much difficulty with play clock and timing and all this along the lines. And in 10 years of, of running LSU, and he was at Oklahoma State before that, he was, you know, He's he's never been able to figure out he's never been able to figure out a decent time frame on how to run on how to run how to run two minute offenses how to time how to he's never been able to do clock I can't even speak on the clock management skills have been awful and that's not I don't understand how people who are head coaches should have this issue I um, mean you know, look two years well, ago he, the right was he was going to go to Michigan State to Michigan that didn't come about last year they thought he was going to be fired and somehow he wasn't. Um, you know, but once they once they're off to a start, as mediocre a start as they have been, considering the receivers, considering Letter and Fournette, considering Adams in you know, the safety position, where they have they have an enormous amount of talent, they recruit beautifully every year. Two and two start and this eight and three con- on a con- on a continuous basis is just not impressive. Well, I'm going to make this one claim, and then we then we can wrap it up. Uh, as far as that is concerned, he's not the only coach that has these problems. We certainly well, talk about said, Tom it Coughlin. So pre- it seems to be so prevalent. Yeah. Is it possible that a coach has so much on his mind during the game with so many different aspects that there needs to be a two-minute coach? I mean, seriously, it may come down to that. Okay, so we got five minutes left. Look, to all you idiots – I'm, I'm going to go first. Look. To all you idiots that call in and disparage people, take a look in the mirror. I mean, really, take a look in the mirror. We had a serious conversation tonight about two athletes that passed away, two athletes that were revered in their communities, two athletes which you never heard a bad word about whatsoever, and you took it to our show to demean them? You want to get me mad? You just did it. I got your phone numbers. Don't worry. You won't be calling again. You won't be put back on our show. I would ask that anybody that calls in have the decorum and the respect that we have for the show and that we have for you. 
We do this because we love it. We do this for you guys. We do this for us and for you. And to disparage a good man's name on our show or any anywhere else in public is wrong. And it makes me absolutely furious. So I'd appreciate it if you don't call in the show anymore. Stop, you're up. I wouldn't even acknowledge anything further than that. Um, not too much else. I don't really have too much to 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 really go on with. Um, I guess talk a little bit. Conor McGregor. I know we don't talk MMA too much, but the big MSG card um, for the first time in years. Uh, New York is allowing MMA, and at the Garden in, in November, and they just signed today. Uh, Conor McGregor, who's now the biggest name in U in the UFC in an MMA as a whole, is, is going to be fighting for another title. Um, but it's a weird situation, and I just want your thoughts, kind of, Sean, from a general. I know you're not an MMA guy, but this is a guy who holds the one the title at 145. He hasn't defended it to fight at 170. He fights again at 170, and now he's fighting for the oh for the 155 title. Uh, if you go more than two years. And I, I'm watching the Mets just go uh, to Pettis just hit a 31st home run, so they're 4 1. You know, would you have a fundamental problem with a guy who won the title, refuses to relinquish it, but hasn't fought in, the, in, that, in that class for probably close to two years at this point? Yeah, I, I, if I were the commissioner of the sport, I'd say you have to make a mandatory defense and you're on. And if you don't, you relinquish the title. I mean, there have definitely been situations where people have had to relinquish titles for many different reasons, I would have a huge problem with that. By the way, just so you know, the first thing I looked at once you started this was looking for tickets to MMA on November 12th. So, ha-ha, you don't think I follow this stuff. Anyway, we'll talk more about this next week. For Seth Kamins, this is Sean Palmer, BackSportsPage.com. We'll talk more about the ticket adventure that I will be on given that they now look like they're going for $751, which I will not be <laughs> Okay. Seth Gaiman, Sean Palmer, BackSportsPage.com. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.